Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. I like that music. I, I feel like I'm one of the Avengers or something. And, <laughs> you know, something's going to happen here. I, um, the team has really done a great job with the uh, video announcements. Uh, I really enjoy watching those. Very encouraging to me. Well, as you know, Pastor Willie has been uh, giving messages on overcoming fear. And uh, I'm not going to speak specifically on overcoming fear today, but I will be talking about trusting God, which is what we need to do if we're going to overcome fear. I shared with him the other day how his message has helped me uh, twice in the last last couple weeks. Um, There were things I was fearing uh, going into or fearing having to do, but I remembered his message I said, no, no, I'm not going to wallow in my fear. I'm going to overcome this thing, and I did. And I just want to encourage you to continue to uh, put into practice uh, what he's teaching in his message because it's, it's just really awesome. The T- title of my message is, today is Father Knows Best. And if you remember the old black and white TV show back in the, I don't know, was that 60s or 70s? There was a show called Father Knows Best, and uh, that was back when fathers had some respect on TV. Uh, So I'm going to be talking about trusting God today, and it's really a continuation of the message I gave uh, the last time I spoke not too long ago. You remember we were talking about Hezekiah, and I was talking about how to trust God in a crisis, and we looked at Hezekiah to see what did he do in his crisis. And you remember he had... Um, he was threatened by the Assyrian Empire. The, Assyrian was, the Assyrians were the world-dominant empire of their day. They just massacred and wiped out everybody. They took over all of Mesopotamia. They marched into Canaan. They took over all of Canaan. They marched into the northern tribes of Israel. They took over the northern tribes. They deported all of them. And then he marched on uh, Jerusalem where Hezekiah was. So he's got this huge army outside. And Rabshakeh, his general, starts shouting these threats. If you don't surrender, I'm going to wipe you out. And then we looked at what was Hezekiah's response to that. And we found out, did he surrender? No. Did he throw in the towel? No, he didn't. He put his trust in God. He did not jump to the conclusions. Everything in the natural realm would have said, you're going to lose, Hezekiah. I mean, this huge superpower is outside his doorstep. He didn't jump to the conclusion. He decided to put his trust in God. So that was the first thing we looked at was don't jump to conclusions. Then the threat didn't go away. It came back. He received a letter. And you remember the letter was the same thing. Sennacherib um, sent him a letter saying, hey, you need to surrender or die. Hezekiah's like, no, I'm not going to do that. He goes into the house of the Lord. What did he do with his letter? He took his letter. He spread it out before God and he said, look, God, this is what he says. And it's a real threat because he's wiped out everybody he's come in contact with. And he's going to wipe me out unless you do something. But I'm going to trust in you, oh God. And so Hezekiah began to pray scripture over his situation. He prayed God's covenant promises over the situation. And God, the angel of the Lord came and wiped out 185,000 of the Assyrians. And the Assyrian army went home with their tail between their legs. 
So that was the last message. How do you trust God in a crisis? I'm going to continue with that message. This would be how do you trust God in a crisis part two. And it's titled Father Knows Best. So principle number one is we must believe with all our heart that Father knows best. And I'm going to give you some illustrations so you can understand what do I mean by Father knows best. If you can imagine a boy, uh, he's riding his bike, little boy riding his bike every day after school with his friends. He's so happy he's got this bike, right? Every single day he comes by, he's riding his bike, he's riding his bike. And uh, as little boys do, they leave their bike in the driveway. Oh. So dad comes home, right? The bike's in the driveway. He can't pull in, so he's got to get out of the car. He picks up the bike and looks at it, and his eye catches that there's a uh, stress crack in the uh, front fork in the well. Dad's a metallurgist, so he sees these things. It's a hairline crack. And dad's like, this isn't good. I'm glad I caught this. So he tells his son, his son, you know, the bike, if you keep riding, it's dangerous. It's got a crack in it. I need to take it to work and fix it. And his son's like, where? And his son can't see the stress crack. Dad can see it because he's trained to see it. But the little boy can't see it. So he's like, well, Dad, I, I was just riding it today. There's nothing wrong with this bike. Well, no, son, I've got to take the bike, and I'll bring it back to you fixed. Don't worry about it. And so the little boy, you know, starts to get upset. Well, Dad, I mean, my friends, every, every day he comes home, his friends are riding his, their bikes on the street, and this little boy can't ride his bike because he doesn't have it because Dad has it, and he doesn't understand why he can't ride it because there's nothing wrong with it in his sight. Okay. Father knows best, right? Did Father know best? Yeah. And it's a good thing he did, too, because the boy could have been riding down the hill, the fork cracks, and the boy goes tumbling over the handlebars. Not good. So, you know, if our imperfect fathers are like that, how much more is our perfect heavenly father looking out for us? He knows what's going on. He sees everything that we can't see, right? We think sometimes we can see everything. We can't see, can we? And so there's a principle in Scripture. Look in Isaiah 55. Look what God says. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, I'm in 55, 8, and 9, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In other words, God's saying, Hey guys, you're my creation. Remember, I made you. You're, you're just chunks of clay I breathed on. I gave you the rules. I'm God. You're not. Oh, okay, that's right. But when we go through these situations, sometimes we think we got it all figured out, right? We don't. We can't see. And actually, would it be trust if we knew everything? Would we be acting in faith if we knew everything? No. That's, I mean, trust means you don't know something. You actually have to rely on somebody else for something, right? And so God doesn't give us everything. He wants us to look to Him because He knows best. He really does. Father knows best. <clears throat> um, illustration of that is uh, I was asked by a friend of mine years ago to help him move to Alaska. And um, he's, he lived in Kansas City, so we we're going to drive from Kansas City up through Canada into Alaska. 
And so I said, yeah, I'd help him move. So he rented a 26-foot U-Haul truck. And he had a Mercedes diesel he was towing with that. And then we had a pickup truck that was towing a Ford Tempo. So we had this caravan going across the land. This is November. Okay, so we're going through Canada in November. The temperatures are minus 40 degrees. Okay, it's wintertime in Canada. So we're leaving, uh, we're leaving Kansas City. We're driving north, and we really wanted to make time because storms come up really quickly. And sometimes in Canada and Alaska, you end up on the side of the road, and they don't find you until springtime kind of a thing. I mean, that's, that really happens. So we're driving up there, and I'm watching the gauge on the truck as I'm driving. And all of a sudden, the charging needle starts to go down like it's discharging. I'm like, oh, man. So I, we were on CB radios at that time before cell phones, I guess. And I said, hey, Tom, it, the truck's discharging. We need to probably get an alternator. So we pull into a little town, and both of us were, were kind of upset. It's like, I can't believe this is happening. I mean, we have to stop and waste our time to get this alternator. It's going to cost us money. Um, you know, we need to be on the road. This isn't good. So we buy the alternator. We put the alternator on, and we're pulling away from the store, and Tom pulls out first in this large truck, and he's towing the Mercedes behind this big U-Haul truck. And I noticed the Mercedes wasn't tracking with his truck. It seemed to be cocked at a weird angle. And so I, I shouted into the mic. I said, you know, Tom, stop. The Mercedes is coming loose. And so we get out and we take a look at it. We had a tow bar, you know, that was bolted into the um, bumper of the Mercedes. And it had sheared. And the whole thing was coming loose. And all of a sudden we realized if we hadn't stopped in that little town to change that alternator, we would have been driving down the highway 60 miles an hour with a 5,000-pound Mercedes coming loose. It's like, God, you're so good. I mean, that's just incredible. I mean, Father knows best. Here we are whining and complaining, but we couldn't see. And we weren't trusting God. We weren't trusting God. So we have to trust God. And it's a wholehearted thing when you trust God. Remember Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. Okay, We were leaning on our understanding. Well, certainly, God, this shouldn't be happening to us. It's setting us back. Whereas <laughs> we were trusting and leaning on our understanding and we weren't trusting in God with our whole heart. Aren't you glad that God sometimes is just overrides our foolishness and shows mercy and compassion. <clears throat> so, Father knows best. Principle number one, you have to trust God with all your heart that Father knows best. It's not just a halfway thing. If you're going to trust God, you're going to trust God. Especially if you're doing dangerous things, it really becomes, there's a heightened awareness. And we'll see that as we go uh, through the Scriptures. Um, <clears throat> What it does is when we trust God and God pulls us through to the other side, what happens? We're elated, right? We're overjoyed that I made it through. And that gives us a confidence to know that, hey, if God can get me through this thing, then the next trial coming up, there, I can trust God for that one too. So it's really important to have a history 
of trusting God, these reference points in our lives. Do you remember when God did this? And do you remember when God did this in my life? Yeah, I remember. Well, well, God did this, so, I mean, He came through in that situation. Well, certainly He's going to come through in this situation. And let's look at some scriptures that illustrate that with David. A little background here with David. Remember, David is the uh, shepherd boy. David literally was tending sheep. Uh, that was his job from a youth. And um, so he's out, in the, he's out in the wild with his sheep. And his dad was Jesse. And I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of editorial license here and make some assumptions, but I believe they're true. I believe Jesse was a good Hebrew father that taught his sons about God. And what would he teach them? He would teach them about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, write the stories. He would teach them about Moses, Passover. He would teach them about the Red Sea and how God had this great deliverance at the Red Sea. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't Jesse teach him that? And he would teach him about going, Joshua taking him into the promised land and wiping out all their enemies so they could inhabit the promised land. So I believe Jesse taught David and his other sons these scriptural truths. Okay, so we're going to look at an instance early on in David's life when he learns to trust God in a really big way. And then we're going to see how important his trust was in that situation to all his further exploits that we read about. Okay, let's take a look in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, chapter 17, 34, and 35. Okay, but David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him. Okay, do teenagers go after lions and attack them? <laughs> I see that. I see that. <laughs> and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Okay, wait a minute. The teenager went after the lion, grabbed it, and killed it. You're kidding, right? That's got to be a God thing. There's no, no man just wrestles lions and bears and, and comes to life. But do you see, David is a youth when he had this situation. Now, I believe personally that David heard the stories of how God could be trusted, how Moses trusted God, how they went through the Red Sea, how Joshua trusted God, how they crossed through the Jordan and the water split, how Abraham trusted God with Isaac. And I believe that those stories rose up within David to be able to, by faith, trust God to kill the lion and the bear. Now, this early experience in David's life is really critical to his success to trust God in future situations. And I'm going to show you how that works. We're going to keep going with David. We're going to look at uh, David and Goliath. And just to give you the background on David and Goliath, you remember uh, Jesse and Jesse's at home. David's at home out in the field tending the sheep. Uh, David's brothers are on the front lines and Israel under Saul is ready to fight the Philistines. So the Philistines are on one side of the valley. The Israelites are on the other side of the valley. And uh, David's brothers are the mighty soldiers. 
David is the wimpy shepherd. Okay? So Goliath comes out into the valley and starts yelling these taunts and mocking the armies of God. And then Goliath says, look, send me somebody to fight me. And if you win, we'll serve you. If I win, then... Let's see. If I win, you serve us. If you win, we serve you. Okay. So Goliath comes out every day, and he's just shaking his fist, taunting the Israelites, and they're shaking in their boots. So back on the farm, Jesse says to David, Hey, take this food to your brothers and give it to them on the front line. So David goes, he gets to the camp. As he's walking into the camp, Goliath is on one of his tirades in the valley, shouting out these taunts and mocking the armies of God and saying, who's going to come out and fight me? David hears this. What's his response? Look in verse 31 through 37 of chapter 17. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. I'm sorry, verse 26, chapter 17, verse 26. What were the words that he heard? Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? I hear covenant language in that. Uncircumcised Philistine, translation uncircumcised were not of the tribe of Israel, right? Uncircumcised, you were outside of the tribe. That means you were outside of the the covenant. And the Philistines lived in Canaan. And God God told Joshua, go into Canaan and wipe everybody out. And you guys inhabit the land. The Philistines were part of that. So David had that theology in him. David knew from those stories that this, the Philistines had no right whatsoever to be out there taunting the armies of the living God. David knew that God made a covenant with Moses and the covenant was, hey, I will protect you. I'll fight your battles, but you have to obey me. That was basically God's covenant with Moses, right? David knew all that. So now he hears about this uncircumcised Philistine. He's like, this guy shouldn't even be there. Joshua should have taken him out years ago. I mean, this isn't right. So faith starts to well up in David. All right, let's take a look now in verse 31 through 37. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul. Remember, Saul was the king at that time. And he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Why is a teenager saying this? This guy's nine foot tall. The whole army is shaking in their boots, and you got this teenager saying, I'll go take them on. What's going on here? Faith is rising within this boy, right? Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Aha, your servant was tending his father's sheep. Remember, I just read this. When a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he arose against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Why is David saying this to Saul? Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. 
And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Okay, go and may the Lord be with you. What's going on here? What did David relate to Saul? David said, Hey, I was tending sheep and a lion and a bear attacked me and I took them on barehanded. Actually, it was God that gave me the victory. And I trusted God. And if I can take a lion and bear on who are coming against my sheep, certainly I can take on this Philistine who has no business shouting taunts against God's army because God made a covenant with us. Oh, okay, well, (laughs) go ahead and do it. But do you see the importance of David's victory with the lion and bear and how he was now using that to fight Goliath as a point of strength and confidence? That brings us to our second principle on how do we trust God. We have to look back and recount our faith stories. You have to tell somebody what God did in your life. You have to remember it. You have to write it down. When God came through, when God got the victory in that situation, you have to remember it. You have to speak it. You've got to bring it forth. Because that's a point of strength. You can say, wow, you know what? God did that to me when I was driving and he protected that, us from having that Mercedes-Benz come through. So the next trial that I'm in with a car situation or whatever, I'm going to be able to say, well, God clearly, clearly protected us in that situation. Can he do it again? Of course he can. So do you see how when you overcome a trial with God, you can look back to that and gain strength from it and say, okay, God, you did it then. You're going to do it now. It's really, really important. Really important to do that. <clears throat> you know, as a, that really helped me on that same trip. So let me continue my story with going to Alaska. Okay, so the Mercedes, um, we got it fixed. And we uh, had gone up into Montana. And we camped. Or we didn't camp, actually. We were in a hotel camping in we were, we were camping in a hotel <laughs> and I mean it's November um, and so we watched the news we watched the weather and it said big snowstorms were ahead of us in Canada and we're like oh so we pray and uh, go to sleep wake up the next morning and Tom said he said John I had a dream last night he said I dreamt that the skies were filled with storm clouds And as we started out driving, the sky, the clouds, parted, literally, like the Red Sea parted, and we were able to drive under a clear corridor of sky. And he said, then I woke up, and he said, I realized what I had dreamed, and then he said, I prayed for my dream, that my dream would come true. And I'm like, pretty cool. So we prayed that morning, I prayed in agreement with him that that would be the case. So we get our, we get our caravan and we're heading north through Montana, heading towards Canada. And sure enough, the sky is all stormy and there's dark clouds. And um, <laughs> sure enough, I look up in the sky and I see this slit. It looks like an oblong football, kind of like this. And this slit is in the sky. And as we drive, hour after hour, this slit literally widens and, and the clouds are parting. And storm clouds are on the left of us, and storm clouds are on the right of us, and we are literally driving under a corridor of blue sky. 
And I mean, God is awesome. God is awesome. And God's, what God showed us through that is, I'm with you. You don't need to fear what's ahead. I'm going to take you to Alaska in the wintertime, in November, through the Canadian Rockies. You're going to make it because I'm your God. And I know best. And so we had that confidence. We had that encouragement. And we needed it for the test that was to come, just like David needed, needed it to fight Goliath. So we're driving along, and uh, we get up into Canada, and we're getting ready to go through the Canadian Rockies, and we start to go up a mountain. There's a big truck, truck pullover, and it's snowing. I mean, it's really snowing. Uh, the truck, the uh, U-Haul truck that we rented did not have any type of winter treads. It had summer treads. We had no chains. It wasn't winterized. We bought it in the lower 48 states in November. I guess they figured, you know, it's, it's not really winter yet. But where we were going, it was winter. So it's really snowing pretty heavily. We pull off and into this truck stop. And so all these truckers are putting chains on their trucks. Okay, we have no chains. So I go and I talk to one of the truckers. I said, did you, did you just come from over the mountain? He said, yeah. He said, it's, I said, how was it? He said, it's, it's absolutely terrible. And he starts cursing. And he said, don't even go. You don't even want to go. And we hear this, and we're like, oh, this is terrible. This isn't good. <laughs> God, this isn't good. So I said, well, let's, let's get in the cab. We got in the cab of the truck. Let's, let's regroup and talk about this and see what we need to do. So we get in the cab. And as soon as we get in the cab, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that man was not for me. That man was from Satan to put fear in you. You need to go. I mean, it's clear as day. And it's just, and I shared that with Tom. I said, we need to go. I mean, that's, that man was sowing fear in us. This is not from God. We need to go. So he agreed. We prayed. And we got in. And while everybody was putting their chains on, and while everyone was, was afraid, we took our four uh, vehicle caravan into the heart of the Canadian Rockies in the midst of a snowstorm. And not once did we slip, and not once did we slide, and we made it all the way through with no problems. I mean, but see, God is good, and if we hadn't had that experience earlier about, uh, you know, pulling over the slit in the sky or the Mercedes coming unhitched, that God, I mean, you see how all these situations, God was giving us confidence that we could trust Him from trial to trial to trial. You've heard the scripture said it's from faith to faith from glory to glory. Well, it's from trust to trust. It's from trial to trial. That's what God wants. God wants us to have a confidence to go from trial to trial to trial. And what I realized teaching this as I was studying for this message is this trust thing, it's not like you get a couple big victories and you're all excited and that's it. This thing is going until I die or Jesus comes back. In fact, every single day, we have to trust God, don't we? That's a long time, isn't it? I mean, you get tired trusting God, maybe. We've got to walk by faith every day for the rest of our lives. So this is uh, not a sprint. This trust thing is a marathon. I mean, a marathon, big time marathon. And we need these victories. We, we need encouragement. We need to read the Bible. We, we need to read about... Uh, David overcoming Goliath. We need to read about Joshua overcoming. We need to read our Bible stories. And as we go through these trials and, and God gives us the victory, we need to be sharing them with each other, encouraging each other. 
with them, which is what I'm doing this morning with us. Um, The last trial I want to talk to you about, um, which really brings up my third point on how do we trust God, and that is you must persevere through your trials. Okay, it's like I said, it's it's a marathon. And it's going to take some endurance. It's going to take some perseverance. It's going to take some stamina to trust God. And if you were to think of anybody in the entire Bible who had to persevere through more trials, you might name David. You might name Joshua. You might name Job. But certainly Paul is up there, right? If not the man. I looked at uh, some of Paul's trials And I saw them in a new light. And I was kind of shocked when I realized what he went through and how he had to trust God. So I want to take you now on a journey through Paul's trials. And we're going to see what we can learn from Paul as he goes through this journey. And I'm going to start um, with his journey to Rome. And Paul wrote the Roman... Roman church, and he told him, he's like, hey guys, I want to come visit you, I want to preach the gospel in Rome, um, but first I'm going to stop in Jerusalem, because I got this gift from the Macedonian churches, so I need, to, I need to bring the aid to Jerusalem, but then from Jerusalem I'm coming to Rome, and then from Rome I want to go to Spain, so that's what he wanted to do, and actually God was in it, because God testified that that's what he should do, so it's God's will for Paul to go to Rome. Now, if I was going to Rome, what would I do? I'd go online to, what, Expedia, CheapTickets.com, something, right? I would book a flight, go to the airport, fly across the ocean, get out of the airport, and have a good time in Rome. No problems. But that's not what happened with Paul. He's going to Rome. So I want to start um, in Acts chapter 22 I'm not really covering specific scriptures because um, it's too much. It would overwhelm you. I'm going to give you highlights from Acts chapter 22 through Acts chapter 28 of what this guy had to go through to get to Rome. Okay, you ready? Let's start in Acts chapter 22. Paul comes to Jerusalem, and guess who's with him? Some Gentiles are with Paul. Why would Gentiles be with Paul? Because he was the apostle of the Gentiles, right? Okay, so he's coming to Jerusalem, and he's going into the temple, and he's going to fulfill some purification rites, because all the Jews think that he's teaching people not to obey the law of Moses. So James and the brethren there say, Hey, Paul, you need to go into the temple, and you need to do some Jewish things, okay? So people see that you're really not hostile towards Judaism. So Paul goes into the temple, And somebody sees him and says, well, hey, wait a minute. This is the man who brought a Gentile into the city and he came into the temple. Okay, if you're a Gentile, you don't go into the Jewish temple. Your history. You will die. So as soon as this guy cries out, the entire place goes into an uproar. And so they're going to, it's a mob scene now. They're going to tear Paul apart. The Romans find out. They come in. They pull Paul away. And Paul says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me talk with him. So Paul starts to share his testimony with this mob. Everyone gets quiet. He's speaking in Hebrew. 
And everything is great until he mentions the G word. He said, God sent me to preach to the Gentiles. Well, as soon as they heard the G word, they go crazy again. They're about ready to mob them again. It's all the Romans could do to pull them away. Okay, this is how the trip to Rome is starting. Mob, now he's in custody with the Romans. What would you and I think if we were planning a trip and the next thing you know, we were in a big mob scene? I mean, you didn't even finish packing. It would be terrible. But he pressed on, right? He trusted God through that. Paul had been in enough trials to know that God was with him from trial to trial to trial. So no problem for Paul. He's in a mob, almost gets torn apart. Acts chapter 23. He's in custody. More than 40 Jews make a vow to kill him. Hey, we're not eating and we're not drinking until this man is dead. We hate his guts. We're sick of him. Oh. So now... Guess who finds out? Paul's nephew hears it, comes and tells Paul. Paul tells the Romans. So they assemble, I don't know, it's like 250 Roman soldiers in the middle of the night, whisk Paul away to another city. But I'm just trying to get to Rome. I mean, is this how it has to happen? I mean, does Father really know best? I mean, the mob tried to kill me. The men made a vow to kill me. I'm in custody in Rome. Now I'm being whisked to some other city. I mean, is he going to get to Rome or not? Well, Paul, Paul can trust God. And uh, so now, what did I say? Acts chapter 23. Um, let me just see where we're at here. That was Acts chapter 23. So they take him to Felix, who's like a Roman governor in Acts chapter 24. So he's with Felix, and Felix questions him, and he's on trial, and he's not released. He stays with Felix for two years. Now, Felix held him for two years while Paul is languishing in prison. So you're on your way to Rome. You want to go to Rome, and now you're in prison for two years. Felix is hoping to get some money out of him, like a bribe, but Paul never gives him any money. So Paul is stuck with Felix as a prisoner for two years. He's trying to get to Rome. He's got to have some patience, right? We need, we need some perseverance to go from trial to trial to trial. So that was Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 25 and 26, Paul finally said, Hey, you know, this trial stuff isn't working. I'm appealing to Caesar. And what did that mean? If you appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen, that means you could go to Rome and have your case heard. So Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. I'm going to Rome. And uh, so <laughs> he talks with Festus. He talks with Agrippa. And they are eventually going to let him go. and say, hey, he appealed to Caesar, so he's going to Rome. To Rome, he will go. So finally, Paul's going to get to go to Rome. Yay. <clears throat> Acts chapter 27, he gets on a boat. It's going to be smooth sailing all the way to Rome. So he gets on this boat, cruise liner. You know, he has his swimming suit and it's got a shopping mall in it. Not quite. Anyway, this boat is sailing and eventually a huge storm called a nor'easter slams into this boat. I mean, this massive storm. It's like, really? I'm trying, just trying to get to Rome. And this massive storm starts tearing apart the boat. So they start throwing all the gear and all the supplies overboard. And 
The men think they're all going to die. I mean, it's the waves are going to sink this ship. Well, Paul fasts and prays for 14 days, um, <clears throat> being the man of God that he is. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and strengthens him and says, Hey, Paul, you're going to make it to Rome, and I'm going to give you the cruise life. Go ahead and tell him that. So Paul tells him that. The ship eventually run, runs aground, and the waves are just tearing the ship up. So they're, they're close to this island. They run through the storm. And now the ship's aground. And now the waves are about to tear them all up. So finally they say, all right, we need to jump in. And we need to swim to shore. So they jump in to this water. It's probably not warm. It's probably not in the Caribbean, is it? No. It's the Mediterranean. It's, it's cold. So they're all waterlogged. Do you ever see a spider that's like waterlogged and just... You can't imagine these guys just crawling up onto the beach. I mean, they're cold, they're beat, they haven't eaten. I mean, they've been battered for weeks. And Paul's like, I just, the natives have a fire. Yes, I just want to sit in front of this fire and get warm. Yes, it's raining out too. I mean, read the account. It's raining, it's cold, it's raining. They've been shipwrecked. But there's people on the island that have a, a fire going. So Paul goes and gets some wood and he's going to put some wood in the fire. And then a viper bites his hand and snake is biting his hand. It's like, I mean, am I going to get to Rome? Or, I mean, what's going on here? Does this stuff really happen to people? Does Father really know what he's doing? I mean, I would have checked, checked out back in Jerusalem. I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> I would have gone home to wherever. And Do you see how it takes perseverance to get through our trials? Well, Acts chapter 28, they're stranded on this island of Malta, right? Well, Paul does some pretty cool things on the island of Malta. He heals some people. God's still working. And he's not giving up hope. He's trusting God. He's still ministering. No matter all this stuff that's happened to him, he's still pressing on. He's going to minister. He's not complaining. He's not whining. He's not quitting. This is chapter 28. Finally, they take another boat and they sail to Rome. And guess what? They make it. He's chained, but he makes it to Rome. Trial after trial after trial after trial. He had to persevere just to get to his final destination. Now, if we looked at that, we would say, well, it wasn't God's will. As soon as the mob scene in Jerusalem, I guarantee we would say, you know what, with all this going on and people trying to kill you, and I really don't think it's a good idea for you to go to Rome. I mean, this is not a good sign. I, I, God's probably not in this. We think that way, don't we? Because we don't really believe with all our hearts sometimes that Father knows best. We walk by sight too many times and not by faith. So Paul says you need to go to Rome, Paul. And as God says you need to go to Rome, Paul, then you need to go to Rome. Now what's amazing is Paul's commentary on getting to Rome. If I were writing a letter to my wife, to my mom or my dad after I went through a journey like that, I would... I would probably be tempted to complain about all these things that went wrong. Wouldn't we? I mean, oh, and then mom, I mean, can you just picture it? And then mom, I mean, the boat, not only, we didn't have anything to eat. I mean, can, can you see that scenario? He didn't do that. What does he say 
about his trip to Rome. This is amazing. Philippians 1.12-14. This is what he's telling the church of Philippi. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Do you hear any complaining? So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonments, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. What's he saying? People were watching him. They saw what he did. They saw what happened to him. They saw that he made it through. And what was the net result? These people were fired up. They're not afraid to preach the gospel even if they might die. Why? Because Paul came, <laughs> because Paul came close to dying about six times before he finally got to Rome. And all of a sudden it occurred to me as I was reading through this, what's so stunning about this is it's not just about me anymore. I mean, it's one thing for me to make it through a trial so I can have the confidence to make it through the next one. That's a good thing. But it's bigger than just me. People are looking at me. People are looking at you. Who's looking at me? I've got two boys, a wife. I work. I've got hundreds of students. I've got the church. I've got people scattered throughout this country. I've got my family. I've got all these people that know me and are looking at my life. And what happens if I go through trials whining, complaining, fearful, scared, frustrated, and angry? What are people going to see? What, what kind of confidence are they going to get by watching me? <laughs> Whatever he's got, <laughs> I don't want that. Do you see how important this is to persevere through our trials? Because your children are watching to see what you do. And as soon as I realized this um, the other day, I, I, drove, I drove my boys uh, to a site in Lynchburg where God had to come through. I broke down on Ford Avenue and, um, in, in rush hour. <clears throat> Not fun. You know, all these people were behind you. And, I mean, you just feel kind of embarrassed. You feel shame like your car broke down. Everyone's looking at you. And, and so my boys are in the car. I broke down. And, you know, what am I going to do? How Am I, I going to pass this trial or not? Am I going to get angry and upset and stomp and fume? And, oh, boy, this is just great. I can't believe this. Or will I trust God? The Father knows best, and he's going to actually do something. Well, fortunately, by God's grace, that time I had the victory. And uh, I prayed. You know, I said, the boys, you know, we need to pray. And. I just said, God, you need to help. Literally within minutes, a tow truck had pulled right next to me. He stops. He's holding up traffic behind him. I'm holding up traffic behind me. He leans out and he says, hey, I can tow you up to that parking lot. I won't charge you anything. Wow. I said, cool. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so he, he hooks me up and tows me up into the parking lot. But I drove by. This, this was a couple years ago. I drove by there this weekend and said, hey guys, remember when, when I broke down here and, and remember we prayed and how God sent that tow truck? And pulled, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. So I, I want my boys to see that I trust God and God comes through for me. And because that is huge 
huge. What, what we're doing is, you know, if you go hiking in snow, the first person has it roughest. Why? Because they're blazing the trail. It's like, remember Pastor Willie's illustration last week with those geese flying? The first bird has to break the air resistance so the other birds can go. Be- That's what we are doing, dads, moms. We are blazing trails for our family. And our trailblazing is walking by faith. Our trailblazing is putting our trust in God through these situations and circumstances. And so when our children grow up, there's no problem for dad. I mean, he broke down all the way across the country and God rescued him. And I did. I've literally, I have broken down from Lynchburg to Alaska and back. (laughs) Constantly. That's no lie. I could stand up here for the next hour and tell you how many times we broke down crossing the country and how many times God had to deliver us. When we left for the trip, our big trip, I'll just tell you one quick story. We loaded up our our vehicle. We were going to go out west on a big camping trip. Load up. I, I, I rebuilt the engine on my vehicle. I mean, I did everything I could to make it right. As soon as we leave Lynchburg, we're driving down 29, the expressway. I hit a big iron bar. I just, the inside of the tire clips this iron bar. It jumps up and puts a hole the size of my fist in the metal gas tank. <laughs> anyway, so my sons are going to hear all these stories, and they're going to be all excited to, to get in their car and go across. <laughs> I'm like, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> All right. How do we trust God in a crisis? You have to believe with all your heart that Father knows best because He really does. Principle number two is we need to recount our faith stories. I mean, you need to go over them. And as I was thinking about that last night, I I got some of my old journals um, out, so... I can maybe tell, read some of these some of these stories to my boys. Um, some of them I typed down in my computer. So some of you guys that have been through things, you need to type this stuff up and pass it off to your children. Make it a little booklet or make it a little pamphlet. Or when they're 18, whatever you give it to them, say, here, son, this is, this is what I've gone through. This is how I've trusted God. I want you to have this. Wouldn't that be cool? Some of you that like writing and recording things. And the third principle is... it. We're not going to stop trusting God. I mean, I have to trust Him just to stand up here. I had to trust Him this weekend for this message because I, I, I was having really big-time struggles with delivering this, as my family knows. I had to trust Him. For, I mean, every single day we've got to trust Him, every single day. But we have the Holy Spirit, right? And we can trust Him because we have the grace of God, we have the power of God, and we know who God is. We know how He is. He's awesome. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank You that uh, thank You for all the saints that we read about in the Bible that have trusted You and we can read and be encouraged from their walk with You. Thank You that You're our Father. Thank You that You're awesome. You know what You're doing. Um, Even when we don't, Lord, we look to You. And I pray that every single person in this building would put their trust in you this week as the trials come, big ones, small ones, whatever. Lord, I pray that this church would walk in victory. This church would overcome fear. This church would have faith. This church would believe 
that you are the deliverer. And so we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.